Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And this is part of the series on Thessalonians. I'm just teaching through the book. And uh, this is part 3. And I've entitled this Enriching Your Faith. How many of you know that your faith needs to be enriched? It needs to be strengthened. It needs to be established, the Bible calls it also. And so chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, that's the theme of this chapter, enriching your faith. So I'm going to read the whole chapter here. It's 13 verses. It says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen, and this is going to be the key word in here, to strengthen and encourage you as to your, what? Faith. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Did you hear that? He wanted to strengthen their faith because he didn't want anybody disturbed by the afflictions because we were destined for this. You don't hear that preached a lot. (laughs) Just making a note of it. I didn't want to scare you there. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I sent to find out about your what? Faith. Why? He says, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy is coming to you and has brought us good news about your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you, For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live. If you stand firm in the Lord, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with you, which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your Faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you. So that we may establish, there's that same word as strengthen in the Greek. We will establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of His saints. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would um, lead and you would guide every heart. That you would be present in every word that I speak. And you would um, move every heart by you, Holy Spirit. Uh, that you would draw us closer to the Father. That Jesus would become more real and more powerful in our lives. And that we would uh, not just be hearers, but we would be doers, Lord, of your word. Not mine, Lord, your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. So we start off in verse 1. It says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, our God's, God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage us to your faith. Now when you see the word, therefore... The first thing you need to ask yourself is what? What's it there for? When he says therefore, that means that he's concluding a thought that he's already made. And so one thing you have to understand when he writes therefore is, I can't understand why he's saying therefore unless I read the preceding few verses. And so one thing that they did around 1000 A.D., they added chapters and verses. How many know that? And so these chapters and verses weren't originally in the Bible, and and, and just uh, collectively everybody gasped for a moment. 
<gasps> no chapters and no verses? What are you talking about? How many know this was a letter from Paul to the churches? And so when Paul wrote this letter, it flowed like a letter that you would just open and begin to read. And so when Paul says, therefore, they unfortunately put chapter 3 right before the therefore. And so you don't exactly get his whole conversation. So as you're flowing through this letter, it's nice to understand the conversations that he's having and put it together like a regular letter would be. How many understand what I'm saying? So when you see the therefore, you look at the different sections. Well, part one of what I was preaching about the Thessalonians was Paul starting his first thought. And his first thought was chapter one, and it's broken up pretty well. And that thought was he's commending them on their salvation and giving you details about this church. Okay, and as he gives details, one of the things that just screams at you is that these people turn to the living God from a pagan lifestyle. And so that's telling you that the audience that he's speaking to weren't, for the most part, Jewish people. There were some, the Bible says, who were Jewish that got saved from the synagogue. But for the most part, it was people that were living a pagan lifestyle. And there were leading women of the city who were also Greek that were getting saved. So one thing we have to learn about this church is, this is a very young church. And so I want you to begin to picture how does this church relate to what we would see today if we were this church? Okay, and this church, um, Thessalonica was uh, not, um, the people that we see that aren't Christians today, they're usually atheist or they're just called ungodly or they're not Christian, right? And that day when you were not a Christian or you were not Jewish, you were usually a pagan, which means that you were very religious. In fact, all around Thessalonica were temples to other gods. How many know this? And so not far from Thessalonica was a place called Mount Olympus. I think it was about 50 miles away. In fact, halfway between Thessalonica and Corinth was the Mount Olympus, which is where all the Greek gods, um, it's kind of the epicenter of all pagan worship. And you say, well, man, how does pagan worship relate to us today? Because how many know there aren't temples in our community called the Temple of Aphrodite? There's not the Temple of Zeus. There's not the Temple of Apollos, right? Apollo. And in their community, there was. And so we have to understand what kind of people were becoming, turning to the living God from this community. Because if we don't, it's hard to understand this letter. And so these pagans were people that were coming from um, lifestyles where they were worshiping these other gods. In fact, if you go to Corinth and you look at where Paul was situated, there was a temple next to where Paul was preaching, and it was the Temple of Apollo. And the Temple of Apollo was a homosexual temple. How many know this? The Temple of Aphrodite was a mountain right next to where Paul was meeting, and there were temple prostitutes, about a thousand. And they would descend on the city every day, and that was their worship. It was Their rites were sexual in origin, and that was a heterosexual temple. And Paul was going into these communities, and he was winning the lost. He was going into communities where these people... At the very young, tender age of children, how many of you know children were being put in these temples and they were being put into prostitution at a very young age? And here comes Paul, a former Pharisee. And he's coming into this community and you say, well, man, can they be saved or can they be redeemed? And Paul was saying, absolutely. They can be redeemed. And so Paul was going in this city and they were turning in droves to the living God and going away from the life that they knew, which was the only life they knew. How many of you know alcohol, drugs, 
prostitution, homosexuality, fornication, adultery was all they knew. And so Paul says in chapter 1, you turn to the living God from false idols. And he's commending them. And he's saying that now they're waiting for the return of the Lord. And so Paul, as he commends them there, then he goes into chapter 2. And in chapter 2, I told you Paul is defending himself against false accusations. Now, why would Paul have false accusations thrown against him? One thing that they said was Paul was sexually immoral. How many of you know Paul didn't do anything wrong? Do you know what Paul did do? He was turning pagans who had been raised in prostitution. They'd been raised in a lifestyle of fornication, adultery, homosexuality. How many of you know Paul was like their father? In fact, you, you, you're, you don't know how wonderful this is that what Paul is doing. Can you imagine taking a little girl that's in uh, human trafficking? Now, how dare you come in and take a girl who's been in human trafficking her whole life, never had a chance, and Paul comes in and says, I'm like your father. I'm like your mother. He, he, in, the, in the second chapter, he defends himself, and he says, I was like their dad. I was like their mom. I was like their brother in Christ. And here he is defending, and they become his family, You hear what I'm saying in this book? And so they were accusing Paul of being sexually immoral, and his great sin was he was loving these people that didn't have a chance in life. And church, can I tell you something? If we don't know that about what Paul was doing, then we won't understand what our call is in this community. Because the people that got angry, they also called Paul a swindler. And Paul, the whole second chapter, is defending himself against the false accusations of the religious. And so, Paul, why would they call him a swindler? Why would they call him a smooth talker? Why would they call him someone uh, who is trying to just get the benefit of the people? Because the people that he was winning to Christ were swindlers. <laughs> okay? The people that he was associating with and was winning to Christ were swindlers. Okay, they were people that were in idolatry. They were materialistic. They they worshipped money. They worshipped greed. They worshipped all these things. And then you had a community of religious Jews, and they seen Paul winning these people by the droves. And Paul said, they're like my family. I'm like their dad. I'm like their mom who nurses them. I'm like their brother. I'm like their sister. And and Paul says in this verse, he says, I was torn away from you. And that word means I was orphaned. That word in the Greek means I was orphaned from you. Do you see the language? Paul in the most intimate language is saying, these are my people. This is my family. This is who I love. And I was ripped away from you. In fact, if you follow the story, it assumes that you know the story, and the story was so many were getting saved, the Bible says. In Acts 17, it says that the Jews got jealous. And it says they went to the marketplace and they got some rough characters together. That's literally what the Bible says. And started a mob against Paul. They rushed to a house to try to find Paul, and Paul's friend Jason was there, and they said, where is Paul? And, and, and they hid Paul away. And they said, he's not here. And by night, they, they sent Paul out, out of town. And so Paul was forced. In fact, he says, I was ripped away from you. I was orphaned is what the word is. I was orphaned from you. I was my family. I can't wait to get back to you. And in fact, he said in, in verse 1 there, he said, Therefore, I couldn't endure it any longer. I thought it best to be left behind at Athens, and I sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. So this is a church of infants in Christ. They're just now having faith in Christ, 
And Paul, he can't go back. In fact, Jason, just to understand how complicated it is, Jason had to post bond. And, and they believed that he had to promise that Paul will never show up again. And he had to promise that if he did, he would go back to prison. So Paul really wants to go back, but you can understand he doesn't want Jason to go to prison on account of him. They both end up in prison. So somehow Timothy, now get this, Timothy is probably in his early 20s. And I want you to think about the job that Timothy has. Paul can't go back, but he's sending Timothy for the work of strengthening strengthening those who are in Thessalonica. So you've got all these new believers in Christ, and can I tell you something? That word strengthen is the Greek word sterizo. And you think about that word and you say, man, who stole that word? Because if you transliterate that word, somebody stole that word and used it for our word steroid. Because it means to make strong in their faith. How many know we need to be strong in our faith? We need to be strengthened in our faith. So Paul sends a t- early 20s, say he's a 22-year-old kid, and he said, Timothy, I trust you. In fact, he picked up tr- Timothy on his way through on his second journey. He was raised by his, his aunt and his grandmother. And, and Paul picks him up and takes him with him, teaches him in the Lord as he's going along. And he says, Timothy, you're going to go back and you're going to steroid these people. You're going to sterizo these people. And it's our word to strengthen. And um, so Paul, first he's saying, hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm commending you for your faith. And then he's saying in the second chapter, I nurtured you in your faith. And this is the kind of person I was with pagans. And you don't really catch the whole flavor of what Paul was doing, being their mother, their father, and their brother. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Do you know in Thessalonians... He actually uses the word brother 15 times in the book of 1 Thessalonians and 7 times in 2 Thessalonians. Another time he says brothers and sisters. Another time he says, I'm your mom, I'm your dad. How many know Pharisees don't do that? Pharisees, uh, what he used to be was a Pharisee. He was very religious. He uh hated anybody who was pagan or anybody who was Gentile, right? Fifteen years later, Paul is using the word brothers, brothers and sisters. I'm your mom, I'm your dad to Gentiles. Very powerful. And you say, well, big deal, I know the Bible now. I can tell people how well I know the Bible. No, this letter is for us. In fact, Paul says, you accepted my words, not as the words of man, but as the words of God. And can I tell you something, church? We should reflect Paul's attitude toward the world around us. You know, when we find people who... Do you know that there are kids in this community, the only thing they have ever known is the lifestyle that this world teaches them? You say, well, what's wrong with this world? These dirty people that live in this world, you know, they're using all these drugs, they're... You know, they're in these lifestyles, they're, you know, they're fornicating, they're adulterating, they're, you know, they're all these different lifestyles. And yes, we, we know that that's not biblical. We know that that's not right. But how many know God has called us to preach the gospel and preach the gospel to people that have never heard it before? And so why was Paul hated? In fact, he says he had to send Timothy to strengthen the brothers because he was taken away for a short while. Paul was torn away forcefully because of the jealousy of the religious. I mean, you know, Paul was called names because he had the nerve to go in and preach the gospel and love the unlovable. Love the unlovable. I just, I can't get over this Pharisee. 
Pharisee loving Gentiles the way Paul loved them. Taking these people that were raised, I mean, you, do you understand how, how, um, disgusted a Jewish person in that time would be by these pagans? And for Paul to turn them to the living God and love them the way that he did made it him, made him a marked man. In fact, they hated him. They called him names. They reviled him. And how many know Jesus said, they will hate you because they hated me if you come in my name. How many know they called Jesus a crazy man? They called Paul a crazy man. They called Paul a swinder, a sexually immoral. They called Jesus a drunkard. They called him a glutton. They called him name. They said he was full of devils. Why? Because they both dared to reach the lost with the gospel. In fact, there were two groups that hated him. There were the ones that hated him who were the Gentiles. In fact, that's why there was a mob, because the two groups united. The one group didn't like to hear that, it, that God, from the very beginning, doesn't want man to live this way. They preached against the sins of the, uh, um, of the idol worshipers. Paul did. Stood boldly against um, fornication, stood boldly against adultery, stood boldly against homosexuality, stood boldly against the sins of his day and say, you think that we just made up these sins today. You think homosexuality is something of this generation and adultery and fornication, but it was worse in Paul's day than it is now. And Paul dared to walk in the middle of the city and say, this is against the law of the living God. God doesn't want you to live this way anymore. God has a better way. And he loved them out of their sins, which caused him to be hated by the pagans. But it also caused him to be hated by the religious. How I many know oh, they united in Thessalonica against Paul and ran him forcefully out of town? But Paul says, I am sending Timothy, this 22-year-old, so he can strengthen your faith because I told you affliction was going to come. I told you that you were destined for it. And now it has come. And now Paul is concerned because he doesn't want the tempter to tempt them and his work be in vain. So I want you to think about Timothy for a minute. How many of you have ever played the role of Timothy? Paul is entrusting it to a 22-year-old. Paul said at one point in frustration, he said, you know, you should be teachers by now. How many know Paul has called us to be Timothy? I just, I just want to ask you, how many times have you looked at a person and said their faith is not ready for what they're about to go through? In fact, the question is not whether you're going to ever have a trial. The question is at what part of the trial are you in right now? Are you going into one? Are you in the middle of one? Are you coming out of one? Because Bible says, that we are destined for trials, that your faith will be tried. And my question is, you should always be a Timothy to somebody in your life. You should always be being sent by God to be strengthening other people's faith. Hallelujah. In fact, a better way to understand the word, because... We get a little lost in this steroid word because there's an anabolic steroid that's illegal, right? And it's damaging to your body. You shouldn't take it. It shouldn't be a part of your body. They stole that word to strengthen and turned it into that word. And then there's another one that's very healthy that they can only give you for a short time. And it is a medical steroid and you get it for a lot of different things. You get it to strengthen your lungs, strengthen your bones, strengthen uh, your appetite, strengthen so many different things. How many have ever been prescribed a steroid for a short period of time? And it's a strengthening of whatever it is that it's applied to. 
But in their day, they would not have thought about the medicine or the illegal thing. They would have actually thought about what's called a buttress or a um, support. How many have done some building in here? And I know we've got lots of people that have done building in here. And some of the old medieval buildings, how many have ever noticed uh, you'll have a wall that is a weight-bearing wall and it has a lot of weight to it, and they'll put these huge buttresses is what they call them. And it'll be to be like a counterweight to all the weight that's going to be on that wall. How many know what I'm talking about? And so that's what they would have pictured, a counterweight uh, on a construction project. In fact, one of the simple things that we can think of immediately is a fence. How many have ever built a fence in sand or watched somebody build a fence in sand? Or built a fence in the ground and you just seen them put all those posts in the ground, go to the next post, put it in the ground, next post, put it in the ground. Or built a deck and just didn't do anything to reinforce those posts. And you just kind of sit back and you know where this is going to go, right? You're going to look at that fence in a few years and it's going to start being moving. It's going to start moving. And so this word strengthen means to make it strong, make it immovable, make it where it won't budge, make it where it's stronger than it was in its previous condition. And so this chapter is all about Paul recognizing that these were new believers in this church and they needed something added to their faith. You say, well, man, that's not biblical. Adding to your faith? Paul wants your faith enriched. He wants your faith deepened. He wants your faith stronger because affliction is coming. You say, well, man, where is this affliction coming? And Paul says, I wanted to come to you, but Satan was hindering me. And then he says in verse 5, I wanted you to be strengthened because I knew the tempter would come and tempt you. Do you know that he specifically uses the name Satan? In fact, it would have been nice maybe if he used devil because that means the false accuser. But he used the word Satan, which means adversary. And I like to quote that... um I can find it here. John Calvin wrote, Whenever the ungodly cause us trouble, they are fighting under the banner of Satan and are his instruments for harassing us. You know, Satan is not able to be everywhere at one time. How many know that? But you are going to be tempted by the tempter, and it's all under the banner of Satan's kingdom. How many know that? Some people say, well, we can't say Satan this and Satan that and Satan this. But how many know Paul said simultaneously he was being hindered from doing the work of going to them and strengthening their faith. And at the same time, he had a fear, he said fear, that they would be tempted by the tempter and his work would be in vain. So how many know if we put this together and we just read what Paul is saying, how many know that when a person expresses faith in Jesus Christ and they want to live that life, we need to understand that a tempter is going to come, he's going to tempt them, they're going to be under an assault, and we need to care enough about people that we want to be a Timothy so we can strengthen their faith, we can enrich it, we can make it stronger, we'll make it where it'll stand, we'll buttress that faith, we'll put some uh, supports on that faith where it's not going to fall over the first time they're afflicted. And how many know Satan is not only trying to keep me from enriching their faith, he's keeping you from enriching their faith, and he's also tempting them to give up on their faith. And so we have an enemy. In fact, the Bible says he, he roams to and fro seeking whom he may tickle. How many have ever had a tickle fight? With Satan. 
You better start knowing your Bibles. He's seeking whom he may devour. Devour is ruthless. Tickle is a tickle fight. All right? Seeking whom he may devour, okay? We don't get to see devour too much because we don't live in um, sub-Sahara Africa, right? We haven't seen a lion devour somebody, have we? But that's what it's talking about. Devouring people that have faith in Jesus Christ. He's seeking whom he may devour. It says he is looking to still kill and destroy. And Paul uses his name, Satan, and he said he's under that banner. And church, how many know Satan is alive and well in this sanctuary? Because he uses people. He used the people in that town. He used the circumstances around Paul. You know, Paul said, I, Paul, myself, many times tried to get back, but I was hindered. He said, I'm afraid you will be tempted and my work will be in vain. How many know there is an adversary? The Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood. This is Paul who wrote it, but against principalities in high places. How many know there's a well-organized kingdom called the kingdom of Satan that is trying to devour our flock? And that's why the Bible is constantly warning, wear your armor. Be aware. He's crouching at the door. Be ready. Be prepared. Wouldn't it be odd if somebody, if you went to somebody's house and they said, you're in a very dangerous neighborhood. Wear this armor and carry this sword because you might need it to get to your car. I'd be like, what? I've been in bad neighborhoods, but what are you talking about? Yeah, wear the, wear the helmet because there might be fiery arrows that might come at you from this neighborhood. Okay, wear this bulletproof vest. Why? Because you might get shot in my neighborhood. You know, wear full body armor because this neighborhood is dangerous. Now, wouldn't God be deceptive if he told us to wear the full armor unless we were under a spiritual attack? And I'm afraid we're so busy fighting each other Do I even go there? How can we fight the enemy? If the minister's being attacked and hindered from helping, and the person who's a new believer is being tempted, and there's a full-on assault from the assault from the enemy, we better learn how to fight together, church. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, I desperately Wanted to get back, but I was hindered by Satan. So I'm sending Timothy because you need your faith strengthened because I told you affliction was going to come. I told you you were destined for it, and here it is. It came just like I said. And church, can I tell you that a lot of people who have faith in Christ don't survive affliction. Because they haven't been taught properly. In fact, Satan puts up a few roadblocks and they say, it must not have been God. God must not be on my side. God must not be in my life. God must not want me to do it. What was Satan tempting them with? Giving up when affliction came. How many know that when you begin to look at this, you look at the Greek here on these afflictions, and it literally means under the thumb. Meaning that God is the one that allows affliction. Man, this, this, Chad, this is making no sense now. You're telling me affliction is destined Because I've been listening to this TV preacher and he says, we're going to float on a cloud to heaven. (laughs) 
And we're all going to play little harps and everything's going to go perfect and every door is going to open and I just got to walk through it. And, and God is going to bless you. But God is also going to strengthen your faith. How many of you know that the affliction is the method that God puts still in the Christian? Affliction is the method that God puts the concrete in the post so the fence won't move. Affliction is the concrete that sets the poles so your deck isn't crooked. Affliction is the buttress on the building that makes a 1500 medieval building still stay straight 500 years later. How many know what I'm talking about? Some of you can't get past the fact that I said buttress. Right? Okay, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. You know, you say a word like that in youth group and it takes a long time to get them to... Alright, just get over it. It's an architectural term, alright? Alright. But how many know the affliction is required to strengthen your faith? And the Word of God, in fact, I can, I can see Timothy going into the community and saying, okay, Paul, what is it you want me to do again? He says, I want you to strengthen their faith. Because affliction is here, and I fear the enemy is going to tempt them and make them quit. And so how do I do this, Paul? And Paul says later that he prays that... um He may be able to help anywhere where their faith is lacking. How many know we're dependent on the Holy Spirit and the work of God and His grace to strengthen our faith? In fact, it could be one of anything that's lacking. How many know this? It could be anything that's lacking in your faith. And Paul would stay there. In fact, his work when he was there was teaching the Word Day and night. And he was there, we know, about three weeks, maybe maybe much more, but at least three weeks he was there. Some say he was three weeks and ran out of town because he was there three Sabbath days teaching. But Paul was there trying to explain, here's how your faith is reinforced. Here is how you become strong in your faith. Here's how you become stable through affliction. And how many know you begin to read a story about Daniel? In a lion's den. And you start to think, well, man, that's a cool story. I read that when I was a kid and had cool little pictures and everything. And then you, then the Holy Spirit starts to take that story. Say, well, let me put myself in that position. Okay, I'm being faithful. In fact, it says he was the most faithful person probably around. Three times a day he would pray. They make a law that says you can't pray anymore publicly. So he opens his curtain and he continues to pray like he does every day. They arrest him. They put him in a den in a call, you know, in a, um, what do they call it? A um, cistern. They put him in an old broken cistern probably in the ground. They're lions, okay? We don't get that because we're used to being around dogs and cats, all right? How many of you have ever went to the zoo and got close enough to see a lion's paw? He was in a den full of hungry lions. Okay? Now I'm putting myself in that position. I'm saying, what did this guy do who was a man of faith? He trusted God. So what is my den? What is my lion's den? What is happening to me when I'm faithful and I'm doing everything right and everything around me is closing and I'm being threatened by hungry lions and things are closing in on me? It looks like death is imminent. It looks like everything's gone. What? How do I react like Daniel? And so I do it. I say, I'm going to be like Daniel, but I feel bad because I'm not exactly facing hungry lions, Right? Now, how many knows after that experience, my faith's reinforced? It's like somebody put rebar in my wet concrete, and now the 
sidewalk's not going to crack on me, right? Now the fence is not going to tumble over on me. Now the building is not going to crack and fall down. Somebody's building this thing right because somebody is teaching me how to be strengthened in my faith. Some of us didn't have a Timothy. Some of us sat home with a Bible and we studied and we studied and we studied and we studied and we walked through everything life threw at us and we said, I'm going to trust you no matter what. I'm not going to turn to the left. I'm not going to turn to the right. I'm going to be like Daniel. I'm going to be like Moses. I'm going to be like Abraham. I'm going to be like the three Hebrew children. I'm going to be like Paul. I'm going to be like John the Baptist. How many have ever done this? And some of us just didn't have a Timothy there to tell us. But we had the Holy Spirit right beside us saying, be a person of faith, be a person of faith, be a person of faith. And how many know this is how your faith is strengthened and this is how you become immovable? I mean, no matter what life throws at you, I'm not moving. Chad, you might lose everything. I'm not moving. Chad, they might laugh at you. They might turn their back on you. You might not have another friend. You may not have things that everybody else has. I don't care. I'm immovable because my faith has been strengthened by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God that He's given me. I've been strengthened. But how many know these people had not been strengthened? They needed a Timothy. In church, we have to have a church full of Timothys. God has sent us to strengthen the faith of those who are new in Christ. And that's what this chapter is all about, strengthening them for the work of Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to amen myself. I have to sometimes. All right. So then Paul goes on. And it says, so that no one will be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourself know you've been destined for this, for indeed we were with you and we kept telling you in advance you're going to suffer affliction, and it came to pass. How many know this word disturbed means to be shaken? Unstable. In fact, the uh, word that is used here, This is kind of funny. It's a dog's tail. A dog's tail just wagging quickly back and forth. It says, so that none of you will be like a dog's tail. See, some of you, your whole life, I better not get down here to be personal. Nah, do I want it personal or do I want it general? I'll stay here. Some of us, our whole life, We've been wagging like a dog's tail. Right? It's like everything has went wrong. Loves me, loves me not. Loves me, loves me not. (laughs) Does he love me? Does he not? Am I favored? Am I not? Am I in God's will? Am I not? And see, that's not settled. They're unsettled. They're shaken. They're shaken. Have you ever seen a dog... His tail moves so fast. You, if you, a dog's happy, you don't want to be near that dog because that tail just carves you up, right? And so he's saying they're unsettled. They're back and forth. They're not stable. And what's amazing is in chapter 1, I think it is, verse 4, he calls them the elect and the beloved of God. These are pagans. Formerly, people that were raised in terrible families, terrible lifestyles. Hallelujah. Some of you don't know how exciting that is unless you've been born into those families. You know, and your family has reputations for drinking and fighting and prostitution and drug abuse and all these things, and you can relate to these pagans. And Paul was calling them the beloved of God, the elect of God, loved by God, ready for His coming, brothers and sisters, my family. I'm your dad. I'm your mom. I love these people. I've been orphaned and ripped away from you. And how do you think that kind of person feels 
whenever they have an affliction. Some of those people hadn't been loved by their own mom or their own dad. A lot of them had been abandoned on the streets. A lot of them had had rough lives. And so Paul was sending Timothy to teach them when they're afflicted, you're still loved by God. You're still more His beloved. You're more His. And how many know the more you are strengthened in your faith, the more you realize that? In fact, the more the enemy attacks you, the more you realize, I'm pretty special. <laughs> I'm a special person. I mean, you know, you're special if you're getting attacked like Paul is. If you're getting attacked and the pattern looks similar to Jesus, you're pretty special. In fact, the Bible, in fact, you were preaching about this morning, God disciplines those he loves. In fact, how else would your faith be strengthened If God doesn't let the enemy attack you, you say, God lets the enemy attack me? He went personally to Jesus and said, I want Peter. He said, he said, Satan personally came to me and asked if he could sift you, Peter, but I'm protecting you. He actually asked special permission to go after Paul. So how do you know? Because Paul said that I've asked three times for this thorn to be taken away from me. But the, but he was told by God that Satan was the one that brought that. And God wouldn't take it away. How many know that Satan has to go to God and ask permission? In fact, he is the adversary. He is the false accuser. He is the one causing all this trouble. But God is trying to get the best out of you. Satan is trying to get the worst out of you. God uses the enemy to complete the work that he's doing in you. That's what this scripture says. And you say, well, why is that important for me to know that? You're not going to have as many people that want to live for God if they know that they're going to go through something. Can I tell you something? If you don't serve the Lord, you're going to go through a lot more. You're not protected and you don't have that hedge of protection like I do as a believer. God measures the affliction that I go through because he's trying to create pure gold in me. And you too. Hallelujah. And so a lot of places they don't tell people that you were destined for affliction. And if you don't know that and you don't expect that, how are you going to react when you go through that? The way you should do it is, I'm destined for this. I was born for this day. I was born for this. I was built for this. I was made for this. This is what God has called me to do. In fact, you see that beautiful structure. How many build a structure and it's built right and you're like, let the storms come as they will. It's built right. In fact, I built a clubhouse. And every time a storm comes, I've moved my truck so it's not near my clubhouse. <laughs> it's the opposite. <laughs> I see that tornado coming and I moved it because I've already got a dent in my truck from my last roof I put on it. But um, how many know we were... <laughs> just forget that, okay? Then the last thing he says, we get to the end of the book here. It says, Now may our God and Father himself... And Jesus, our Lord, direct our way to you. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that we may establish, that's that word strengthen again, sterizo, your hearts without blame and holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Two prayers he has here that you can easily miss. One prayer is for God's direction. Remember it said that Satan was hindering him? Satan was hindering him. And now his prayer for them is, and his prayer for himself is, may God direct us. How many know if God doesn't direct you, Satan will hinder you? But if God directs your paths, 
You're only doing exactly what God has called you to do, and it's all the steps of the righteous have been ordered. In fact, I've got some questions here. Who sets your life's direction? Well, you say, well, I do. I'm the king of my country, right? Who sets your life's direction? If he's the Lord of our life, he should be directing us. Do you go to God with what you want to do for him, or do you ask him what he wants you to do for him? Are your prayers all, do this for me? Please, 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 please do this for me. Or are they, what do you want me to do for you? This is direction. This is praying for direction. That's a big deal what Paul's asking here. Do you ever pray for the Lord's clear and specific direction in your life? And you're like, are you crazy? Why would I do that? I mean, no, the best path is his path. His direction. Do you ever pray for the Lord's direction in your church? Well, Chad, I got a real plan for this church. Hate to ruin it. We got to, how many know we need to know God's direction for His church? His church. Do you pray that the Lord will speak to your leadership? Lord, we need our direct, our paths directed from you. Do you invite the Lord to give direction in every area or just some areas? If you're honest, do you admit that there are some areas you do not invite the Lord to direct your path? No, that's my path, Lord. You can have this one. Just some, just some questions, church. The second thing he says is, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. Paul, Paul, Paul. Wow. This is a big prayer. He's asking for supernatural love. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. How many know that it's not a special or supernatural love when it's your family and your kids? That's hard sometimes, but it's expected. But God wants us to abound more and more. Can you say about your life, I'm abounding more and more in our love for each other? In fact, he says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so love for one another, we should be abounding and growing in love for one another. That's a prayer that we should have for each other. But then he says, for all people. And so Paul is actually saying here, To the Thessalonians, let's love the people of Thessalonica. You remember the ones that ran me out of town, started the riot, you know, built the big mob and banned me from ever coming back to town. Let's learn to love them. How many know this is supernatural love? Supernatural love that when they hurt me, I will love them. Don't you like to be challenged? The Word of God is such a challenge. (laughs) It is a challenge in church. We're called to do it though. And then he finishes with an awesome thing. He goes back to the return of the Lord. He says, so that you may be strengthened or established in your heart. That's Sterizo. Without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of His saints. This is the word parousia. 
This is the coming of the Lord. Everything that Paul is telling them is because he's trying to prepare them to stand before Christ when he comes and give a good account at the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat of Christ is in view here. He wants everybody to have a good and honest report when they stand before Christ. And church, if we're not learning to abound more and more in love for one another and everybody else around us, we may not have a good report when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we should all tremble at that. We should all be afraid at that and say, Lord, I want to have a good report at your coming because we're going to all stand before Christ very soon. And this message, this whole series, is about preparing us for the return of the Lord. If we're not living today for the Lord and thinking about these things, we never will. Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's practice it right now. I'm four minutes over. So let's love me for that. Hallelujah. (laughs) All right. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love your word, Lord. We thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, your word is um, not Paul's and they're not mine. They're directly from God. And Lord, we uh, bow down today. We honor your word. And we ask that you give us grace, Lord. Each person that's in here, grace, Lord God, to live this word out. Lord, I pray that this would be a time of confession. Time of repentance, a time of glorying in your presence and acknowledging your presence and just finding a place, Lord, to get honest with you, Lord. And uh, Church, I would just ask you to do that. Let me know it's a place of confession and repentance and worship. So if you want to make an altar at your seat, you want to make an altar up here, maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord and you say, man, I want to have faith in Christ, I'll pray with you today. I'll pray with you after the service. I'll pray with you during the week. Hallelujah. Most important thing is you get right with God today. Don't wait for tomorrow. So find a place at your seat. If you need prayer, we're here. Maybe you need prayer for something in your body. Maybe you need prayer for something that's on your mind. That's what we're here for. Hallelujah. We're family. Find a place. Just get in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. with as I close. Number one is uh, sometimes this will sound like a message for a new believer. But and I know this is a corny term, but the biggest room in your house should always be your room for improvement. Hallelujah. Some of you, that's the tiniest room in your house. You say, man, I'm there. I've arrived. And uh, we can never say that. We have to always be willing to improve. And uh, and so I want to share this scripture on that note. This is uh, Peter, in 2 Peter 1, 5. Uh, Peter's about to die. He's about to be martyred. And there's a really good chance when he wrote this, he may have already watched his wife die a martyr's death. And so very stern words, he says, but also for this very reason, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue. That means live right. To virtue, add knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, add love. For if these things are yours and they abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed 
from his old sins. Hallelujah. Let me read that again. He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're all always improving. Hallelujah. Always adding to our walk of faith. And the second thing is, we're always adding to other people's faith. We all want to be that Timothy. And we need to be looking for people and looking to be an encouragement and one who is enriching other people's faith. And we should be a... um, We should be a strength to everybody that we meet as far as faith. We should be enriching everybody. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord God, by your grace and your power and your strength to make us who you called us to be, Lord God. Oh, Lord, let us be mighty for the tearing down of strongholds, Lord God. Mighty in you, mighty in faith, Lord. Help us. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Bless your people as they go, Lord. In your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Shake somebody's hand this morning.